0: let
1: Hello and welcome to the 80th Guna podcast, recorded on the Monday night after Arsenal's nil-nil draw at Newcastle. Thanks to our sponsors, gunashirts.com. I'm Kevin Witcher, your host, and still with me are our panel of John Cross of the Mirror, Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters' Trust, and Jeremy Wilson from The Telegraph. Okay, so, gentlemen, I'm going to read you uh, something I read in The Independent, written by Ian Herbert. And he reported that Arsene Wenger was powerless to hold on to Samir Nasri after a board meeting in early August, at which principal shareholder Stan Kroenke insisted that it would be folly to sacrifice Manchester City's money and see the Frenchman leave as a free agent next summer. Wenger did not put up a fight and City hoped to announce the signing of the player imminently. Now, do we believe that this was actually the case? And if so, does it signify a genuine shift in the balance of power between Arsene Wenger and the board? Who
2: wants to start? I'll go first on that. I, I don't believe it was the case that Stan Kroenke has come into town and told the club what they must do. I believe it's a business decision that is totally consistent with the principle of football efficiency and self-sustainability that Ivan Kazidis preaches and the club has to follow. The Arsenal Supporters Trust has been quite clear on this. We would have seen it as economic folly by Arsenal to let a player run down his contract. You could describe it as paying someone £25 million for one year because you're foregoing the fee of £20 million plus and their wages and you're not sure what type of player you're going to get for that final year. I think the terrible complicating factor has been having Fabregas Saga alongside the Nasri one working out how you try and negotiate decent fees for both of them how you time it for bringing people in. Perhaps it hasn't worked out exactly as they thought perhaps Wenger has let it go too long because of his worthy desire to at least keep one of them but I don't believe that Stan Kroenke has come in and overruled the manager and actually Arson is on record over the years of making it clear that if a player doesn't renew a contract they have to go I mean that was absolutely been his message probably at every yeah. conference he have done with him for a couple of years but he's had the difficult scenario of how to play it I don't know how you two have seen this from the press conferences but that's
0: my take There was definitely a change anyway I mean because when... Myself and John were in Malaysia and Arsene Wenger was very much telling us we'll keep Nasri um, and forego the money if necessary because of the message it would send if we lost both, both players. And something appears to have changed in mm. the last month. Now, whether that something is Stan Kroenke telling Arsene Wenger that he thinks that he should sell him, I don't know. I, don't, I think I mean, it's more that he just realised
2: he couldn't persuade the players to stay.
0: Yeah, I would find it... Doubtful in that I think that if Arsene Wenger was fully of the view that Nasri should be kept, regardless of whether he's in the final year of his contract, and he was told, sort of instructed that he had to sell him, I don't think Arsene Wenger would stay at the club. So
3: for that reason, I find it doubtful. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I do, I do think maybe the the, the board meeting, perhaps, rather stamped the kind of the the, uh, the will within the club to to sell. And I think you know the board meeting. I think well, what was it Thursday before last? You know, probably just you know just kind of dotted the i's and crossed the t's, if you like, um, to, to kind of get that deal done. Because I, I do think with like with Jeremy, I was I was in Asia, and 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 I think Arsenal at that point I think was was putting up a fight and a united front, which I applauded him for at the at the time, because um, he said you know we can no longer be considered a big club if we sell. Both Fabregas and Nasri, and yet you know, I think you know, sort of I sort of went on Talksport with a kind of a couple of days later to kind of defend that sort of Arsene Wenger's position on that because you know I think they they were sort of ridiculing a, a, any manager who would who wouldn't sell a player for 22 million and let him go for free the next year. But I actually thought that while I can totally understand you know Tim and the Gerald uh, the supporters' trust position, um, I, th- I think that. You know, I thought it was a laudable and sort of admirable cause to try and take up, but I think that position changed in Arsene Wenger's mind when it became abundantly clear that Sami Nasri wasn't indeed going to sign a new contract and would be leaving come what may on a free transfer the following summer, which is a great shame. I, th-
0: I think the key thing on that was the att- is, it has to be the attitude of the player. Yeah. If, if he felt that Nasri would be fully committed for the season. Then I think there's. I understand completely understand Tim's point, but I think there's at least an argument that it's worth keeping him, if, if because, okay, you might lose 20 million. You might write off 20 million for that season, but the difference of keeping a Nasri for that season could actually in be worth 20 million could, if you qualify. P- sure, p- if you potentially you qualify for the Champions and, League, again, and then it pays itself. Yeah, in. and then it could create another sort of onward momentum, and you might, and you know, you never, eat, you know, shock. The biggest thing could be if the club, he stayed, the club did well, and I know I'm being very optimistic here, won the league, he might actually sign a new contract, perhaps not, perhaps in the real world he'll prefer to double his wages, but I could mm. see that there was at least an argument, but it obviously depended on Nasri buying into that, and mm. it doesn't appear that Nasri does buy into that, so that's probably what's happened. Yeah, I agree.
1: Um, I mean, OK, well, we briefly entered uh, La La Land there, so I'm going to go back to that particular <laughs> place. Um, Nasri, we're assuming, will be going to Manchester City for a fee, which presumably will be agreed very shortly.
2: Um, there, today's tweeting, you started mentioned tweeting on the last podcast, I think pretty much guarantees that and mm. Nasri's reaction to Arsenal fans reaction about him in many ways during, that's creating the excuse bridges are being
1: burned yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. is there a cat in hell's chance of a deal being struck which would see as one newspaper suggested Carlos Tevez coming in for, to Arsenal for Sammy Nasri plus cash come on fellas can we dream
3: well, I, you know, I'll I take this one up because I'm a great defender of sort of newspapers because, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I always sort of, you know, sort of get my, get my head together and get some coffee and then check my, my, my Twitter, basically, and sort of see the replies. And I get lots and lots of replies from people saying, have you got any news for us? Have you got any transfer gossip? What's happening with transfers? So does this mean then that we should never report any transfer activity? Until it actually happens. By which I mean, if Arsenal have made an inquiry to say yeah. to Manchester City or Tevez's agent, say, tell City or tell your lot, right, that you can have in Nansri if we have Carlos Tevez. I think that would be a fantastic front foot manoeuvre by Arsenal. That if they felt that they could get that done, and rather like they've done, played hardball with Barcelona to a degree and got a better price. Um, over Farragas, I think that you know, if they felt they could manoeuvre something similar with Manchester City, then I think, you know, I think then that, that is perhaps a positive thing. And I think in newspaper terms, if I can sort of just broaden it out into that, if Arsenal have done that, and uh, you know, I think Sean Custody's is a good journalist on the Sun, he, he wrote the piece, I think that's worth reporting. Whether or not it then comes to fruition is, is another matter. If you're asking me whether I think Carlos Tevez will be an Arsenal player on September the 1st, I think it's extremely unlikely, but I still think it's a valid story. All
1: right. Well, there is definitely a Cesc Fabregas-shaped hole in the Arsenal uh, squad, and there's a bit of money now uh, to be spent. Um, I mean, basically, the two attacking names that have been banded around, which seems to have a bit more reality to them, are Jadson, at Shakhtar Donetsk and Matter at Valencia, do you think either or both are likely to arrive? And are they direct replacements for Sesk? General cool, Jeremy. <laughs> well, I think we saw we saw Jadson last year in the
0: Champions League. Yeah. I'm not sure if he played in both legs. I'm fairly certain he played in the one in Shakhtar when Arsenal were, were beaten, and I'm pretty. He was one of the they're the, sort of key men that night and I'm, I'm pretty sure that Arsene Wenger obviously noticed that hence the, the interest in him whether it's I think he's 27 whether he's suddenly at the age of 27 going to be as good as Cesc Fabregas it does sound pretty doubtful but in in one sense you're, you're asking for the impossible to, to replace yes. someone mm-hmm. who's one of the best in the world at what, perhaps in terms of what he does and the system that Arsenal play possibly the best in the world and the great, So I think it's almost impossible to, to directly replace him and it'd be, I think what will be really interesting next season is having built a team and a system around So he has that sort of free role um, behind the striker, whether, whether his departure means a change in the system. Um, the great shame is that Nasri would have been a, an obvious person. Um, but I do think there are options within the team. Uh, We've talked about Arshavin and, and Ramsey's probably the obvious one. That's Although I'm, I would have some doubt as to whether Ramsey's quite quite ready for that yeah. sort of level of responsibility. I
3: think Arshavin, you know, he's really interesting. He would love it. I'd sort of, you know, sometimes get sort of grouped together as being somewhat, somewhat having a down on and That's just not true. I love Arshavin I love to watch him, but sometimes there's, ga- there's games where I think, he can look a bit lazy and lazy today, not do enough for his amazing talent. And I think one of the problems with that is that he's not fulfilling his, his his potential out on the left wing. That's you know, he's just not going to be sort of the, the player that tracks back and covers the fullback and drops back inside. That's not him. Because when when he when he starred for Russia and when he was at his best for Zenit, he was in the hole. You know, he was a, sort of the, almost the classic number 10, he was fantastic to watch, he was, he was amazing to see, and I think, you know, you look at his assist record, you know, in recent times, even for Arsenal, matches up with, with the best of them, better than that, really, you know, and I think there's, there's something there, and I think if you said to him, you be our main man, you be our playmaker in the middle, I think you could unlock even more from Arshavin, and then, you know, you'd you probably go from a player who might have been on his way this summer, into someone who's got an amazing amount of ability, who could be the kind of the key in the success for Arsenal in the next season? Or so. You know, i so, saying, really do believe that. I think there's a lot there,
1: but surely the manager is going to buy more than one player. I mean, we, we've established in a previous podcast we do believe he's going to buy one centre back, but with all this money, there would be uproar if he didn't spend.
3: Yeah, I'm not. Saying, I'm not saying that Arsene is the answer to all evil, and I think that. But I do think Arsene perhaps say, for example, he went for Matter matter, you know, I think they've looked at you know, you could look at his versatility um, and, and see him perhaps on, on the flank or in the middle and, you know, he sort of, you know, he offers that um, and I think Ashwin perhaps then could come inside you know, you have that option you know, so I think it's a sort of a you know, variation on the thing, uh, but I, I think Arshavin has got great potential.
2: I agree totally with that and with what Jeremy said, which is you can't replace gas. so you need to look at the system mm. again, and perhaps you do have to look at a Scott Parker or or a Joey Barton or someone, or a bit more of a water carrier, a bit more, you know, build a system that protects Arshavin. We know what he's not going to do, but we also know what he can do, which is unlock defenses, creativity, which no other player we've got can probably do that at the moment. Mm. So consistently, I really think we have Arshavin. Use him at what he can do, or or don't have him there. And you're probably right. If if, if Seska and Nattri was staying, I mean. Arshami mean, might have been on that plane to Galatasaray yep. that we hear with Bue, was on last Monday night and
0: yeah absolutely I think it'd be really interesting if I realise this is a, would be a very difficult signing to, to pull off but someone that we know that Wenger's interesting, interested in is Benzema and whether yeah. that type of striker and whether then you could use Van Persie differently because I think there is a question I know Van Persie has a lot of qualities of whether he's ideally suited almost physically to being the main sort of central mm. striker in a sort of almost drogba role that he does at the moment whether if you could get get someone in that would play just in front of him and he'd obviously have to have a slightly different system but then Van Persie would almost be playing in that sort of Fabregas position to some extent whether that would be an option because I do think he might look for a striker as well I know mm. that everybody would Sort of sees the the defence as a priority, but I think that he he, he concerned about the options in attack. Yeah. But, but,
2: but, Kevin, you're right. There is now a lot of money to spend. You know, that's a if it's only a couple, and I believe the guys will tell me that in his in his press conference last Monday, he talked about bringing in one or two. So perhaps it is going to be a couple of very big signings. Or he could bring five or six in. He can bring five or six in at sort of 10, 12 million mm. with the money he has. So it, it's going to be a frantic 31st of August. I mean, all that the popcorn and, and, and bunker in for that night. You <laughs> can just see what it's going to be like. I mean, mm. Sky are probably setting up the rig outside the Emirates as we speak, <laughs> aren't they? But none of us know, really.
3: no. no.
1: I mean, in in fairness, the money received for Fabregas is not dissimilar to that which they would make uh, from the Champions League group stage if they were to get past Udinese. Now, do you think with the club's conservative outlook they might wait until they actually spend the Fabregas money? I'll
2: slightly correct you on that. It's not what they make by getting through that stage. It's more what they lose if they don't. Because roughly at the moment, the Arsenal business model, they spend what they earn, although they have got a bit more... Flexibility in the wage structure because Nazri and Fàbregas will come will come off it, but in effect they need the 25 million that you get from beating Udinese to match the wage bill when running of the stadium and club commitments that they already have. So I think it's more a case that if they don't get through that match, there's 25 million less to spend rather than adding another 25 million on top of what you can already see. But again, the AST has advised throughout the summer that we think that they certainly won't spend all of. The cash they have accumulated until they know the outcome of that game. Again, Ivan Gazidis has told us about being not, you know, being cautious with the money you have, and talked about Champions League contingency because if you don't get through, you've got an even bigger um, question to address, which is how you're going to keep the current players and attract others to come in, and you do need yep. some contingency to deal with that. But we'll know in eight days now. <laughs> I mean, it's not long left. Well,
1: yeah. Well, the point is, uh, there will be a week after the second leg, in which to conclude any transfer business. And you know, Arsenal do have a history of leaving negotiations to the wire and sometimes not completing them. You know, I mean, so it's a bit of deja vu for uh, for many. I it's mean, it's
2: very high risk. I mean, didn't the didn't the, the the Schwarzer deal, whether it was going to overall have been a beneficial or not, but it was left to the wire. The Fulham goalkeeper, remember, then got injured in the final week.
1: Mm.
0: Which, yeah, which,
1: yeah,
2: which yeah, yeah. that's right. So, so, that deal went down, I think, largely on that factor. Mm. You know, Schwartz had a higher value. The Fulham, it is very high risk, and you, you alluded to it there. But I wouldn't like to think of what many Arsenal fans and what many of our members will be contacting us to say if very little new business comes through the door.
3: Yeah, I think it will be. I think it will leave people very flat. If they don't, you know, pull off at least well, do you two think on Aiden
0: Hazard. Do you think that's a well? Do you think he's, he's becoming really, really expensive?
3: See, you know, I think he's, he's one that's sort of uh, maybe
0: Lille. They've sold quite a few of their yeah, team already, yeah. And they if they be. could,
3: if they could get that one, you know, that that would be a great piece of business. But suddenly, sort of these prices uh, skyrocketed in the last year or so. I think Arsenal's valuation is drastically different to, to to Lille's. But he he he's really interesting because he's sort of someone that's sort of a and an agent sort of mentioned to me sort of quite some time ago. We thought that Arsenal was sort of really looking, you know, at him quite, you know. For, I mean, this was say, you know, two and a half years ago, and you know, suddenly sort of, you know, a lot of scouts round him. And I think he's sort of, you know, if Arsenal had been able to pounce and get him then, I think it would have been a different market to what it is now, because I think sort of, you know, the big sort of European super clubs look at him now, and um, I don't think Arsenal perhaps want to pay that sort of money that that. that that uh, it would go for because it would be an awful lot more than Jovina, I think. And it doesn't,
0: t- it would be very unlike Arsenal to do sort of impulsive buys in the last week of the... I know that deals go, go to the wire but they tend to be players that he's been looking at for about three years or something like that. Yeah. Well, know. this is when part of the problem.
1: Uh, I think Arsenal's scouting system often profits other clubs because we do look so long at players that eventually other clubs get wind of them and it's almost as if their scouting's been done for them because if Arsenal have been watching someone for two years then they must be decent for them to continue the interest so we'll, we'll happen them then, you know. And I'm sure we've missed out on players... I mean, historically, I remember Real Madrid just buying anyone we were interested in about four or five years ago. Um, Back to the Udinese game. Um, It's gone to general sale. Chances are it's not going to uh, sell out. Do you think this would worry uh, the powers that be at the club in terms of their own financial plans? I mean, do you think this is a bit of a one-off, or do you think we're going to see more games which fail to sell out this season?
3: Well, I think it's really interesting, and I think Tim will probably know more than me on this one, but... Aren't games going... I mean, I'm surprised that someone was telling me that sort of the red members' the tickets are being referred to red members an awful lot more. I don't know whether that's an increase in red member allocation or more to the fact that perhaps why they're allocating more tickets to red members, but aren't games going... You know, aren't there more games going to that to that level of buying so you can you know stand a much better chance? In
2: fact, that's what I've heard. I think that there was a actually a very healthy renewal rate of season tickets at Arsenal this year, but if you chat amongst fans, what you pick up is there are a lot of people now sharing season tickets. There are a lot of people who say they'll buy their season ticket because you kind of don't give up your pass to the ground, but you'll put a lot of tickets back into ticket exchange. Mm -hmm. Now that strategy hasn't worked for people if they were going to do that. With the Udinese game because it hasn't sold out and therefore ticket exchange isn't turned on. I think mean, August is always softer for ticket sales. I was up at St James's Park and they had. They had quite a few gaps. A lot of people are on holiday. But, you know, Ivan Gazidis did at the ASA meeting last week kind of acknowledge concern about what well, he sort of said whether the club had got it right with its ticket pricing and the kind of, you know, the, 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 the harm it had done to the relationship between club and fans. And he's undertaking a big review. And people are feeling it in the pocket. And compounded by this disappointment of several years. But I, I would have expected, and the AST did warn the club and wrote, you know, a very long, probably the most, you know, but most passionate case we've put for the club for them to change a policy when they're charging. And I know this is the top price, but £100 for a hundred pound for for a Grade A match, and when the cheapest season ticket, the very cheapest season ticket, is nine hundred and fifty pounds mm. before you move up, people are going to find that hard in these times.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that whole season ticket thing was the worst kind of single mistake that the board made. That yeah. I can, in, in the last we sort of talked about whether they've signed or not, but the the extra sort of bad feeling it's caused at the worst possible time and that actually will could have an impact this season, I think, yes. in the general mood at the Emirates because Absolutely. I sense from speaking to fans that they feel you know it's another thing that they feel at the back of their minds that we'll weave. Well it doesn't make sense, does it? I mean when when Bender the the talks about
3: financial doping, how can they have that, that on the one hand? And, and Jeremy you rightly say, you know, sort of what what does the six and a half percent Net no. bring you about four and a half million. Well, I mean, in, in,
2: in this summer of, sort of it's crazy. PR
3: Absolutely, issue it had with the fans and the extra kind
0: of pressure and bad feeling it could create towards the team, just because it's another thing that people are thinking. Like we, you know, we pay the top prices. I just don't think it was worth. I don't think it was worth it. And, and
2: it overlapped the change in ownership, where we now see Arsenal. of the club owned by two billionaires between them. We have the self-sustainability model pushed at us all the time. So I think a lot of fans do feel that the only people putting more in are supporters with increased ticket prices. It it happened,
0: as you say, at the takeover when a lot of the board did very well out of it. And 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 it it was kind
2: of like a perfect storm of everything not going right. And, and the point I've just made about self-sustainability, the, the, the AST has always supported a well-run club, not wanted the, the, the sort of let-loose-sugar-daddy approach, don't think it's sustainable, don't think it's right long-term for Arsenal. But equally, we have to look again at this self-sustaining model. Can we have a small rights issue to bring more money in? Can we renew commercial deals faster? Can we have some short-term bridging loans to cover the gaps until we renew the Emirates and Nike deals in in two thousand and fourteen. We are this year fifty million pounds lower in commercial income than Manchester United. That's why they can buy yeah. free players that they bought early in the summer and we're struggling. And so and, and in many ways I see the Sesc and NASVI situations coming out of, of this scenario. You know, a mixture of not always being able to buy top players or play the top wages sees your own players want to leave. For, for riches anywhere. And Nasri's had a lot of abuse in the last week for what he's doing. And I, I, I'm in tune with that, but I also think, oh, we hypocrites. If any one of us were offered double the money for doing the same job, I expect we'll take it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and Arsenal just can't, we cannot pay the wages of what a top star in the Champions League currently expects. And that's new in the last couple of years. And we're gonna have to have a very hard think about our financial infrastructure either how we catch up or do we say that's fair enough that's where we are set the aspiration as coming forth perhaps picking up a domestic cup for a year or two and that might take pressure off in a different way Mm. most fans start the Premier League season not expecting to win it Mm. maybe with our finances we have to accept that coming forth by Arsene Wenger and picking up a cup is a very good achievement but I think we need a little bit more kind of honesty about the situation that we're in either how we push on to have more money or what we can achieve with what we've got now you know it's a bit unfair on Arsene Wenger to say you must deliver us the club's first ever um, European Champions League trophy and the Premier League again with what he's got to spend compared to the five or six clubs that sit above him in Europe at the moment I think
0: historically the expectation of Arsenal fans now is different than it was 20 years ago isn't it before Wenger because you weren't finishing in the top four, you weren't finishing first and second. I know you had years when you yep. did, but, but when you weren't I, But
2: when I, when I started 25 years ago, I paid £25 for my first season ticket. So while I'm sympathetic to that view, a lot of fans say, I am paying the highest ticket prices in world football. Yeah. If you're going to charge that price, I expect you to go Absolutely, you know, yeah. for the title. And I, I, I think there's yeah. some fairness in that criticism. I agree, so I
3: think the sums are not, are not adding up. You know, I don't think you can expect... On the one hand, fans to pay you know top dollar uh, for the for the tickets and then not getting top dollar you know signings it 's just not you know it 's not financially viable I think you know and I think so much emphasis that Arsenal is put on financial aspects of the game um, and and yet you know <laughs> sort of don 't have the finances it, sort of from city, but at the same time it you know it, it, it doesn 't add up does it because so much emphasis is put on the finances really and I think that's. Um, you, incredibly can't, you can't avoid. Disappointing. Some, people, some people
2: tweet at me and say, all you talk about is finances, where it's kind of, of course, where the AST has the specialism mm. in the interest. But you can't divorce the two now, because you only have so much to spend on a wage bill. And it, you know we've talked a lot about the players that have left that we haven't wanted to, but we have for Paradox: Where players that we want to leave, we can't move on because we found we have tied them down to deals where we pay them too much. Yeah, you know, no one wants to take on Almunia. In fact, you guys know what happened to the poor chap. Well, he disappeared no. off the face of the earth, I th- I also and others. Yeah, you know, I
3: think he's had a couple of offers in, <laughs> in Spain, but you know, as you say, he's, he's he's on good, you know, good good money. I think I think we'll probably put people. You know, I, th- I think a lot of people realise is that Arsenal pay. You know, the, throughout their squad, they're very consistent. Level and a very high level, which sees like the derbies of this world sixty thousand pounds a week, bent on fifty-two grand a week, and, and you, you know, and yet, you know, I think Fabregas was sort of ninety, wasn't he? was sort of the basic, and yet it's it's kind of, you know, so so the top earners are, are actually in, in tune with the sort of the squad players, yep. and yet you know, so that means that Arsenal, are one of the best players in the Premier League, and yet when it comes to try and manoeuvre in the squad as they've done this summer. No one's going to take Diaby, you know, especially when he's, not, he's injured all the time. If but you want to sign Ben, you know, though, and that just
2: explains why he's still with us when the season begins, mm-hmm. it's almost a twenty-five million pound investment by a club because Arsenal want about ten million, and then three million a year on the five-year contract that he'll want mm-hmm. to replace. I think the three years left with us, it's a twenty-five million outlay, and you're not going to find a Sunderland or a Fulham or even. You know, maybe a Villa, t- where you Everton, where you yeah. think he could go, and it would be right for him. They can't afford that kind of outlay.
3: No. no, they can't even afford the you know a loan deal. Some of the clubs that you're talking about, there. not on the wage levels. No, absolutely. You know, not a lot of clubs now want a you know, sort of loan fee, don't they? I mean, it's just it's just not going to happen, you know. So I think you know it's a very difficult situation.
2: But I, I think Jeremy did hit on it there, partly about did we have such expectations twenty years ago? probably not but now you know we've got the Emirates we've got these ticket prices I don't think the game's comparable now in many ways you you qualify for the Champions League and you earn so much money from that that you, you know in a way there's a case that you bloody well should qualify mm. for it but, but you know the
0: next year but the environment out there is that much different as well with the Man City and Chelsea yeah. and Man United who have probably got the best manager we've ever seen plus they've amazing got Commercial. commercial. Yeah. so I, I do have some sympathy, I don't agree on the ticket prices, I think £4 million is not worth the the aggravation basically for it and I do think ticket prices across football are, are terrible but I do understand Arsenal's predicament because it's the, their, it is their main way of, an, of, mm. of, of generating income or one of their main ways of generating the, the, income. The,
2: the best indicator of where Arsenal will finish in the league this year is the position in the wage bill. It's been shown statistically, over the, particularly over the Premier League period, that the wage bill gives you the finishing position to an incredible accuracy. Mm. So Arsenal will come fourth just above Liverpool. Mm. That's, that, and then that's probably what most people would get. Most of the predictions I've seen have been, will Liverpool or Arsenal yep. take that fourth slot? And actually, you know, if Wenger can come third... It's an amazing achievement, and fourth is arguably what he's paid to deliver with the resources that
0: he has. Yeah. So that's, that's the case. How do we kind of explain this unrest and dissatisfaction that everybody senses around Arsenal? If if, oh, if he has basically overachieved, or at least I think I think at least achieved where he should in the last, even in the last five six years.
1: The problem is that uh, Wenger has set higher standards for himself, and in recent years he's shown. Uh, Arsenal fans a glimpse of the peak. Um, So it's looked like it's attainable and then it's collapsed. So it's like an avalanche on the mountain when you're climbing up to to get to the top of Everest. So if we didn't get near, there wouldn't be such frustration. It's getting near and then failing consistently. That is, it is. That, that, that does build on Jeremy's point,
2: there, and, and what I, you know, have uh, uh, covered before about in many ways like 80 eighty, ninety percent of what he does is genius, mm. and in some ways it's it, it's perhaps very unfair to absolutely mm. get frustrated with him for not doing the final bit, and we must recognise all the bits he is doing mm. very, very well.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I do think, I do think, that, you know, he does, he does overachieve, and I think Jeremy, you know, he do 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 raise a great point about that. I do think that I think sometimes that you know, I, th- I think a lot of fans can see this season sort of descending into sixth and I think that, that you know, that I think a lot of people might might say sort of dis- disenchanted fans at the moment so might say sixth if they don't sign another player. And so I think, you know, I think that's what, what people think are worried about. A successful manager makes a look for his own back, and not he, by uh, being successful? Uh, you know, and in point. some ways
2: I think that maybe he's a little bit out of tune in Understanding what fans want, because I think he he probably puts greater store on a Champions League win, and also pushing the league. Mm. Where some of us might say, if the resources mean you, c- it's very unlikely you can do that. Take the cups a bit more seriously, because it would, you know, Arsenal fans would love an FA Cup, and look at in a way he did push it last year. and He'd World probably is. tell me that yeah. it all went wrong on getting so close, and look what it did. But perhaps he needs to be slightly more pragmatic. Yeah. In the, in the, in yeah, the challenges, he's, he said to if he told us and the club told us that fourth was the good achievement, we'd do our best, maybe it would help, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be very difficult. But I'm sure, I can see equally so many people absolutely going after him if he came out and said fourth was the best of his ambitions.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: But I think maybe we do have to face that a bit more for, for a few more years or have this completely fresh approach to our financial structure. And it's not such a fresh approach. Arsenal had a rights issue in 2000 to fund the stadium. Arsenal have had you know, loans put in before by Danny Fisman and others. There are things that can be done that would still fit
1: a sensible, self-sustaining, revenue-generating football club. Right, well, we're going to look ahead uh, to that in our final podcast from this evening. But that's it for this one. Uh, so, once again, the uh, email address for us is gunapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to GunasShirts.com, our sponsors. And my thanks to the panel of Jeremy, Tim, and John. We'll be back for more shortly. I'm Kevin Witcher, your host, so farewell for now. La-di-da-di-da, la-di-da-di-dee. All good friends and jolly good company. Way!